Holy Hour of Power. The month of November is dedicated to those who have died and departed to their heavenly home on their way to the beatific vision. And it begins today with all saints. Days. It's a holy day of obligation, yes. November 1st. Remember all the numerous holy souls who have died and are believed to have entered into heaven. We call them saints. But there's a lot of people that are probably in heaven that we'll never know about until God willing. But please, God, we get there ourselves. <laughs> so we're celebrating the hundreds and thousands of holy souls that have probably entered into heaven and do not have any specified day or dedicated to their honor. But this practice began in 1261 when the church began to honor martyrs on this day. And later, all those holy souls who lived a, a, an extraordinary life of holiness on earth, we also began to remember them on this day as well. And tomorrow, November 2nd, is celebrated as All Souls Day to remember all the faithful departed who are in purgatory. This practice of remembering all the dead is believed to be, have been instituted by St. Odilio, of Cluny in the year 1030 AD, but actually the Jews have been praying for the dead long before that. Terry? Well said, Jesse. Got an exciting show. We got our friends from Church Militant coming at the end of the show, the last segment. We're also going to be talking about uh, Obsessed with Skulls and Skeletons, a great little article from Catholic Answers. I think it's very important. Also, we have wars going on in Europe. We have wars going on in the Middle East. That's a great topic. How the supernatural power of fasting and the rosary can end wars and obtain peace. This is really, really important. And I want to just add, Jesse, that something good to know file, and we'll cover it tomorrow, but it's very, very important. Cardinal Mueller and Bishop Strickland were on the same podium yesterday. Wow. And we're going to be covering their presentations. I like what uh, Bishop Strickland talked about. He said, we must follow the example of the saints and the martyrs in the defense of the faith. When we talk about that tomorrow, I think people are going to be inspired because it is true. All saints day. The saints are the ones who who give us the example of the faith. And can you imagine, Jesse, St. Padre Pio or St. Athanasius Snyder being alive? Or Bishop, excuse me, Bishop, Bishop Athan, sorry, St. Athanasius yeah. uh, being alive today in our church. What do you think these saints would do? I know what they would do, Jesse. They would be like John the Baptist and call us out to fidelity to the perennial teachings of the church. And we'd have to do likewise. Also, uh, a good to know file, Jesse. And this is really good to know because, you know, a lot of times we pro-lifers, that we get accused of things. The Knottsville Planned Parenthood was intentionally set ablaze from the inside. The fire department one year ago reports this, okay? Now, here's the interesting thing. He was Mark Reno was was supposedly accused of this fire, but now the facts are set. Jesse, are you ready for this? Talk mm -hmm. about need to know file. That the department said that, re, that the fire was intentionally set on the inside of the building, and all the doors were locked when the firefighters arrived. So the truth come out after the study that it wasn't uh, put uh, put on fire by a pro lifer. It was put by somebody on the inside. And a lot of times these fires take place to get, you know, insurance policies, too. So I think that, that the, the record has been set straight. And I thank God for the fire department that did that report. Unbelievable, Terry. That's what uh, we live oh, in, though. Yeah, that's the world that we live in yeah. right now. Yeah. Just want to mention that uh, LifeSite News, yeah. they invited the media. We'll be talking more about it uh, sure. tomorrow. Oh, absolutely. They invited the media of the church to a World Press Conference. It was yesterday. Yes. 
October 30th. It was at the August Augustinian Augustinianum. Uh, and uh, so the, some of the following leaders were there. Yeah, big name. Ugandan member of parliament, yep. the Honorable Lucy Akello. Oh, yeah. Alice Machiri, the head of the secretary of Kenya's Catholics yep. uh, Spiritual Supportive Initiative. Yep. Michael Matt, editor of the, of, this, of the English-speaking world-famous traditional Catholic newspaper, The Remnant. French Catholic activist and journalist Jean Smits. U.S. clergy abuse victims advocate Elizabeth Yore. <laughs> UK barrister and Catholic author James Bogle and John Henry Weston yep. as well, along with uh, Cardinal Mueller and Bishop Strickland. Wow, what we'll a be talking about, Yeah, we'll be talking about what they said tomorrow. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything on your end, Jess, before we get some soul food? Good to know, file. That's it, Terry. Okay. That's it. Well, yep. let's get the soul. Hey, Jesse, the soul food for today. Uh, you know what? I always say the, the, the Beatitudes are really like a summary of the gospel teachings. I mean, if we read anything in the Bible, this is what we need to be. This is our Magna Carta in the sense of this is what we're supposed to do. Continue. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, Terry, because our Lord Jesus Christ in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, he's like a new Moses giving us a new law. The first Moses, the original Moses, he told us things that we should not do. Right. Don't do this. Don't do that. The first Moses on a mountain. The second Moses... On another mountain, he's telling us now what we should do and some of the things and, and the rewards or, or the, uh, uh, the graces and blessings that we'll receive if we do these things. So here's what he says. Today's gospel, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Awesome. The, 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 you know, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so, the word blessed and, and, and is, is, the, is the Greek word, excuse me, is makarios. Makarios and the word happy, <laughs> that's actually an interchangeable word. But the word blessed is found 13 times in Matthew's gospel and is found 30, 37 times in the entire New Testament. Uh, this, the Beatitudes that, were, that our Lord gave us today mm-hmm. or the Sermon on the Mount, they're talking about blessings because you have two types of blessings in the Bible. You have blessings that are here and now. Like it's a declaration when a person, you know, either receives a blessing or blesses another person. Mm-hmm. That's here and now. Yeah. And then these are what's called eschatological blessings or eschatological beatitudes. In other words, the be- the promises of the beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, these blessings are going to be fully realized in heaven. That that's, and and again, Jesus is like a new Moses. He's on a mountain. Just like the first Moses gave us the, the law on Mount Sinai, 
and Moses brought the law down the mountain to the people. Now Jesus is delivering his teaching to disciples who have come up to the mountain. Also, Jesus Christ, the Bible says he sits down. This is the posture of a Jewish rabbi speaking with authority. That's what they would do. They would sit on a stone chair. Uh, and then you, you you just go down and, you know, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who, uh, the meek, inherit the earth, those who hunger. Uh, these are eschatological promises of people that will, re- will be rewarded if you attain to, this is perfection. This is what's called the unitive aspect of Christianity. Once you can enter into the Beatitudes, because you have the purgative stage, the illuminative stage of the interior life, yeah. and the unitive stage. Right. The people that can embrace these, uh, as you read the Beatitudes, pure of heart, be merciful to others, Mm -hmm. hunger for righteousness, a peacemaker. These are people who have entered into the highest, uh, the highest uh, relationship or intimacy with God. It's called the unitive stage. And uh, uh, the the final one where it says, I mean, we're leaving that one right now, Terry, is Blessed are they when they insult you and persecute and, oh, yeah. and utter every kind of evil against you mm-hmm. falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward will be great in heaven. Don't think it's just the Caesars that are going to persecute you right. because you believe in Christ. Yeah. Oftentimes, Terry, some of the person may come even from within the very church. Common, very common. Yeah. Hey, Jesse, uh, that's a great point. You know, this is the month of praying for the poor souls. Yes. But I think it's a good time. We'll get into that about talking about the four last things because death, judgment, you know, come on. Heaven and hell. We're going to be talking about that. So here's what Bishop Sheen has to say. Let's let's bring him in, the smartest guy into the room. Oh, Sheen ahead. Life is like a cash register, Jess, in that every account, every thought, every deed, like every sale is registered and recorded. You know, Jesse, I think of that often because many times I think of myself, man, my, my, my judgment, everything that I did and didn't do, it's all going to come out right then. For, I mean, for myself, man, am I got to be, I got to be careful. I got to be focused on God. That thought of judgment, death is such a wholesome thought. It realizes that Jesse, every single thing we've done and haven't done will be there at our judgment. That's powerful for me. It is. And I'll tell you what's sad, Terry, is most people, they don't even think in that, with that uh, uh, type of mental framework. What you just said right now. Yeah. Most people, to be honest with you, the majority of people just live by the seat of their pants. They just believe in, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, wine, women and song, sex, drugs and rock and roll. Uh, they just live for the weekend. And that's why we're on this radio show, because we're trying to teach people don't live for the weekend, live yeah. for eternity. <laughs> well said. I want to also thank all of our listeners who have been supporting us here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We're doing a little t- um, a fundraiser and you can go to uh, you can go to our website virgin most powerful radio to bid on some things actually they're, they're bidding on having a special lunch with yeah me terry barber you can do that i, I do it for free but it's going to be a fundraiser this time so go to dmpr.org check us out and i think you'll be happy to see what we're doing to help pay the bills we'll be back with more after a quick break stay with us family Welcome back. Jesse, I want to also mention that we have the Spiritual Warfare Conference coming up in March, middle of March, and uh, we will be uh, doing an auction 
Uh, anytime after now, the, the, November 1st, you can go to uh, Virgin Most Powerful Radio's website. And not only can you have a lunch with this knucklehead, but we're going to have a special lunch with Bishop Strickland, Jess Romero, Dan, and Kyle. So the whole crew that weekend of the Spiritual Warfare Conference, you will have time to have a, a nice dinner with those people. And the way to find out about it and how to do it is to go to vmpr.org, and uh, you can take a look at that. And we've got lots of other gifts we're giving away for this fundraiser. Jesse, up, this is the topic you picked, Obsessed with Skulls and Skeletons by Joseph Shaw. This is a good article for the time of the year. Yeah, because most, a lot of, not most, not, not mine, no. a lot of people's front yards are dressed with with uh, gravestones, yep. grave markers, uh, skeletons, witches, gargoyles, uh, uh, hanging on trees, uh, broomsticks. Yep. So there's this fascination with death right now all over the country right. as a result of our secular culture. So Joseph Shaw says that people are obsessed with skulls and skeletons. And here's why so many portraits of saints include a human skull. Yep. This week begins the, the, the church's month of the dead. We, we remember those who have died. And this should stimulate us to keep our own deaths in mind with all souls day approaching tomorrow. Yep. Yep. We wish to focus on the latter activity, the remembrance of death, associated with the artistic theme of the, the Latin word memento mori, which is remember the day of your dead. Yep. It's a visual reminder of death. Memento mori literally means remember, it's a command to die, an infinitive. That is, remember that you, the onlooker, will die. That's what it means. Yep. So it's a pithy restatement of the words of the priest who places, places ashes on the foreheads of the people on Ash Wednesday, where he says, Memento homo quia pulvis est et pulverem reverteris, which means remember, man, that you are dust and to dust you shall return. So the Memento Mori images are found not only on tombs and gravestones, but also in association with the memorial plaques found in, in Catholic and Episcopalian churches, a human skull or skeleton, mournful angels, which inverted torches, hourglasses, and the like. These even found their way onto liturgical vestments until the church forbade this, since only images and symbols of, of holy things should decorate vestments. Death is important, worthy of respect, but it is not a holy thing. It is indeed our enemy. Well, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 16, the last enemy to be, to be overcome is death, which by the way, is the only scripture quotation found in the Harry Potter books. Interesting. The four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell used to be regular subjects for preaching and pious meditation. But this preaching stopped abruptly in modern times. In a recent book review of how our world stopped being Christian, by the French sociologist Guillermo Couchet, uh, he, he writes, The sudden silence in the pulpits, as tracked in parish bulletins, giving the topic of the homily regarding the four last things, gave the impression that the clergy had either ceased to believe in them or no longer knew how to discuss them, even though these had been frequent sermon topics right up until the Second Vatican Council. The discontinuity in the preaching is one problem, uh, writes the author, he says, changes in official teaching that turn humble folks into skeptics, but there's also the question of the intrinsic value of the new approach. The council did not, in fact, tell priests not to preach about mindfulness of death, even if we think preconsidered preaching was too gloomy. An academic question uh, for me, the, the writer says, 
and for most readers too young to have experienced it, it has become evident that always looking on the bright side does not in, does not in itself ward off all our problems, <laughs> and certainly not the problem of death. Reality sets in. Come on, we're, nobody gets out alive. Last time I looked. Continue, Jess. It is no coincidence that an era that ignores or mocks the idea of spiritual preparation for death, marking death and mourning, it is an era in which death is difficult to discuss. Death today is an embarrassment. Instead of visiting the dying, comforting them and praying with them, they are commonly sedated. I understand from priests involved in hospital visiting that it is now rare to be able to give the last rites to a conscious patient. Instead of entrusting the bodies of dead loved ones to the earth and visiting and tending their graves, it is now more common to make them disappear altogether by burning them and scattering the ashes. It's worth noting that while cremation is now permitted by the church, the scattering of ashes is not. Uh, as Shakespeare wrote in Hamlet, <laughs> yes. all that lives must die passing through nature to, to eternity. Right. Even those al alive at the second coming will pass through death. It is the doorway to eternal life. It is also the final moment of decision, the final moment in which we can influence our fate. As, as uh, uh, this night might seem unfair, and many modern speculations about the afterlife try to do away with the possibility of damnation or indefinitely extend the time in which we can make morally significant choices by reincarnation, for example, yeah. which is a heresy. Okay. Such theories rob life of its significance. This is a time of action. It is what we do now that matters. And it matters a great deal. As it says in John chapter 9, verse 4, the night cometh when no man can work, close quote. If it doesn't matter very much or at all, we might as well not bother. If death is important, we need to prepare ourselves for it. And we can only do that if we allow ourselves to think about it. A long artistic tradition seeks to remind us of death through painting and sculpture. Some of it may seem a bit gruesome for modern taste, but the grim reality of death can't be brushed aside forever. The meditation of death to which this invites us is not an invitation to despair and passivity. Rather, it should be a stimulus to renewed effort to make the most of the life that God has granted us. Indeed, to make most of life bearing in mind the reality of death is not to close our eyes to death and have as much fun as possible, often at the expense of other people, it is rather to follow the advice of St. Paul, where he says in Galatians 6, 9, quote, let us not tire of doing good, close quote. It is in this spirit that paintings of the saints sometimes include a skull sitting on a desk. They are depicted as having a memento mori, as many pious persons did. It is a custom we would do well to, to revive at a time when people behave as if they were immortal and then find it difficult to face their own death or to accompany another through the final stage of life. An even better way of remembering death, though, is to remember the dead, observing a period of mourning for deceased loved ones, not of gloom, but of remembrance and prayer. Terry, comments? Yeah, Jesse, I do 200 funerals a, week, a, month, a year here at the chapel, <clears throat> so I see death on the doorstep couple times a week and I talk to the families and what I see so many times Jesse is the idea that okay junior died uh, next next and they don't get the message about praying for the dead they assume in our culture that they're going to heaven or wherever they're going it's a better place and they stock talk like that like you know with confidence that this is going to take place but they have no idea what they're saying. They're just they're consoling themselves to say, oh, well, he, he was better off now that he's not suffering or, you know, 
that kind of stuff, and they don't get the Catholic viewpoint of death and judgment. So it's it's my job sometimes to just share that gospel with them, and sometimes they accept it, and sometimes they reject it. But the fact is, Jesse, people, I encourage people when their loved one dies on anniversaries to get masses offered for their loved one. We don't have any idea on this planet right here on our side, Jesse, on what souls get to heaven. We really don't, because that's God's business. But what can become our business is praying for the dead. Can you imagine, Jesse, this month, we have all kinds of suffering to give up, right? Can you imagine one soul in purgatory going, Romero, Barber, suck it up, man. Start offering some more prayers for me. I'm, I'm almost out of purgatory. I just need some more prayers. Will you, will you help me? And the answer is, of course, I'm going to help you. We're going to offer up all disappointment, suffering that we receive for the poor souls. But how many people miss out on that opportunity because they're not being told? That's why Jess and I are telling you, especially for the month of November, offer your soul, your prayers for the poor souls in purgatory. They, and they get the benefit for you, I'll give you a benefit. When they get to heaven, okay, they're praying for you. So it, it works two ways. So I would just encourage people to focus this whole month. And then, you know what, Jess, not just the month, but make it a holy practice to pray for the dead. Amen. It, uh, some of the elements of, uh, of Halloween and All Saints Day and All Souls Day, as Catholics, we don't we don't run away from pain. We embrace it yes. and unite it to the cross of Christ. And the Catholic Church is very realistic. Back in the Middle Ages, when you look at Middle Age Catholic churches, they used to have statues of gargoyles around the perimeter of the roof right. to remind the Catholic people in Europe of the reality of demons in the world, that the demons are outside. That's why they had the statues of demons around these great cathedrals. Of, they're called gargoyles. Again, there's also the tradition of many Catholic medieval saints that during the season of Lent and during November, they would uh, they would preach with a human skull on the pulpit with, with that sign, that red memento mori. And also, most people don't even realize, even when you see your secular neighbors that got that have these gravestone, plastic gravestones that say R.I.P. R.I.P. That's a Latin prayer. A lot of people in their front yards during Halloween, they don't realize that the R.I.P. is an abbreviation of a Latin prayer that has rich history. Yeah. The, the letters stand for requesiat in pace, which means the direct translation is rest in peace. But these are Latin, R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually part of a much longer prayer for the deceased. Uh, the first use of this Latin phrase of, of requesiat, Requeciat in pace, it was uh, goes back about to the eighth century, yeah. and it's meant to be a prayer for the deceased person, praying that they experience eternal rest in heaven and one day the beatific vision. It also corresponds with the Catholic belief in purgatory, the Jewish belief in Sheol, the Greek belief in Hades, yeah. and so that phrase remains a central part of Catholic funerals and ceremonies today. Terry, here's one saint that. Talk about an amazing saint. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 sometimes you, most people don't know this, yeah. that there was a saint that uh, he was beheaded. His name was St. Dennis uh, back, in, uh, back in 250 AD. He was beheaded under the Emperor Decian's persecution of Catholic Christians. Decian was one of the ten wicked Roman emperors. So St. Dennis, he was beheaded, 
and he walked 10 kilometers wow. with his head cut off in his hands. I heard that. And he preached the, <laughs> the gospel the entire time that he walked. And we can't, uh, and we're not even preaching the gospel. <laughs> Jesse, what a great example. Tell us more about him. He, yeah, he lived in the third century. He was the Bishop of yep. Paris. And uh, he was martyred in connection with Emperor Decian's persecution of Christians. And the site where St. Dennis stopped preaching and actually died, today it's marked by a small shrine that developed into the St. Dennis Basilica, which became the burial place for the kings of France. Uh, St. Dennis, pray, pray for, for us. Jesse, one of the uh, listeners just sent me a text about their son, and i got to share it. Uh, you know, a lot of us Catholics, we would uh, dress up the kids for All Saints Day at our chapel. And there's a picture here of a little two-year-old, three-year-old boy. as His name is Fulton Joseph, and he was dressing for All Saints Day as Bishop Sheen. And they got him in a, a beautiful regalia of Bishop Sheen. He, he's got a big grin on his face. And so who knows, Jesse, what the future is for little uh, Fulton Joseph. So we'll pray for him that he'll become right. a priest in God's will. Stay with us, family. We're going to talk about how the supernatural power of fasting and the rosary can begin World War. Stay with us. Wow, we're back. Jesse, isn't it an honor to share the gospel with people about the meaning and purpose of life? I mean, what better thing can we be doing, Jess? I, I don't know. This is Yeah, Terry, I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, I think it's in 35, yeah. that every word that comes out of our mouth, yeah. every word will be judged wow. uh, in the scales of God's justice and mercy. Mm -hmm. And so if, if somebody who shares the gospel, which, which all Catholics should be doing, what it does is when your when your words are measured in the scale of God's in, in the balance of God's scale, yeah. hopefully more good words came out of your mouth than bad words Amen. by the time you go to your particular judgment. Well, well said. Well, let's talk about this topic about the supernatural power of prayer and fasting. And Jesse, this is something that we've seen diminished since the Second Vatican Council, where. The emphasis, uh, unfortunately, the spirit of Vatican II came out and said, oh, no, no, we don't have to pray. We don't have to fast anymore. We're just going to be joyful and forget about that. And we see the fruits of that. There are no fruits. So let's talk about what Our Lady has to teach us on that. Yeah, Our Lady has told us in many apparitions throughout the world that prayer and fasting can stop wars. Yep. She's told us the power of the rosary. Maureen Flynn, co-founder of the International Week of Prayer and Fasting, which takes, which, uh, it took place a few days ago, October 20th to the 28th. She was interviewed by Church Pop, and she discusses the supernatural power of fasting, and she also touched on the miracles of the rosary. Maureen Flynn, who helped found the International Week of Prayer and Fasting about 31 years ago, explains how fasting fuels our prayer. I like that. Fasting fuels our prayer mm -hmm. and makes them more powerful. Uh, she tells stories uh, from both the Bible and her own personal experience that prove the supernatural power of fasting and the rosary. Uh, Flynn also says that, that when we join uh, forces in a group, as Pope Francis calls us, God intervenes. I think we're going to see some powerful things happen in, in mitigation. And you know God intervenes when there's enough prayer, with enough fasting, he yep. will have mercy on us. Uh, Flynn also recalls the biblical roots of fasting, particularly in the book of Esther, Queen Esther gathered many people to join in a three-day fast to prevent King, uh, King's advisor, Haman, from killing the Israelites and her uncle, Mordecai. 
After the three-day fast that Esther appealed to the king, the king later had Haman hung along with his ten sons. He then freed the Israelites and they won the battle. Yep, that's how it works. Maureen Flynn then describes a blessed mother as the new Esther. I like this part. This is really I good. Do. I got it too, yeah. Yeah. When she appeared at Fatima, she had a star at the bottom of her gown. Yeah. And that is the star of Esther, Maureen Flynn says. I believe Our Lady's interceding before, before our King of the Universe, Jesus. She's interceding for our whole world that we are protected and that this war would end, close quote. She also says, I think that that's why it's important to pray the rosary. The Holy Mass is the most powerful prayer, adoration, and then fasting and sacrifice, some kind of penance, because the two together are very powerful. Yeah. One is good, the other is good, but together it's like a spiritual atomic weapon that goes off, mm-hmm. meaning the grace is all over. Marine Flynn also explains the power of, of Our Lady's intercession in combination with fasting, especially through her through her Holy Rosary. Our Lady has told us in many apparitions throughout the world that prayer and fasting can stop wars. Yep. She's told us the power of the Rosary. Our Lady's very powerful. When she shows up in exorcisms, the demons have to leave. What we're learning is that when we pray the Holy Rosary, especially when we pray in the state of grace yes. with the right with the right attitude, yes. and the more we pray with people. The rosary is like an exorcism prayer. And the more we get people, uh, yeah, the more we get, the more we, the more we pray with people uh, and the more we get people around the around the country praying the evil spirits that are trying to possibly foment war and violence. Eventually, if there are so many people praying, they are prevented. They're paralyzed from doing the work and they've been asked that they've been asked to do. So let us pray the rosary every day for peace in the world as Our Lady of Fatima asks us to. Well, you know, Jesse, Our Lady of Fatima said that war is a punishment for sin. Okay, Mm. so let's just look around, Jesse, and think about this was 1917 and the amount of sin that was taking place worldwide versus today. And I mean, I'm no I'm just looking at the numbers of pornography, abortion, much higher so it it appears to me, Jesse, that we deserve punishment from our sinful behavior in the world. I can only say that the hand is being held back by a few pious people, and we need more. <laughs> but so, no, really, I'm thinking yeah, about that. Yeah. That how else do you explain? I mean, Jesse, you know, you you know, you lived in Southern California for most of your life. Right. You know that this is the pornography center. You were you lived probably yeah. just a few miles away from where yep. they were doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay? And it goes all around the world. And, you know, uh, it seems to me that reparation and atonement for sin is needs to really step it up because if we don't, yeah, the world will be lit up. And souls, many, think about this, Jesse. Think about all the souls that are out there right now that ha- are living a decadent life and within just a few seconds of a nuclear bomb going off in the city, whether it's Los Angeles or New York or wherever, and those people, all hundreds of thousands of people die and are going to go to their judgment seat where they just committed mortal sin. I mean, Jesse, objectively, mm. I could say it doesn't look good, okay? So how do we prevent mm. that? Through our prayers, through our sacrifices. And, and Terry, a lot of people, especially for men that yeah, think— yes. you know, that think, oh no, no, praying the rosary, that's that's, that's what women thing. do. Oh, okay. I'll I'll tell you where you're wrong. Oh, big time. I'll tell you no, why. Yes. Look at look at the way the rosary is described mm-hmm. by scripture and some of the saints. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh 
Our Lady appeared as St. Dominic, <laughs> and she didn't say the rosary <laughs> is, you know, a rubber band. Yeah. The rosary are, is nail clippers. No, she said, the, I want you to know, Dominic, that in this kind of warfare, the battering ram <laughs> has always been the angelic psalter, which that. is the foundation stone of the New Testament. In other words, Our Lady just called the rosary the yeah. battering ram. I've seen a battering ram, Terry. It's a tank mm-hmm. uh, that was used back in the 80s in Los Angeles to, to plow down through drug houses. And finally, the court said to LAPD and the LA sheriffs, you can't use these tanks in, in the city. <laughs> but a battering ram is an impressive uh, piece of equipment, to, especially in a neighborhood. When you see a tank rolling down your neighborhood, Our Lady called the rosary a tank, wow. a battering ram. Wow. Also, St. Padre Pio called the rosary, he called it the weapon. against the evils of the world today. The weapon against the evils of the world today. It also reminds me of, uh, also back in 2014, there was a Nigerian bishop, his name's Oliver Dashi uh, Domi. He was was in the chapel praying before the Blessed Sacrament, (laughs) and he's praying because the Islamic militants, Boko Haram, are killing Catholic Christians out there. And so as he's in the chapel praying, he receives a vision of our Lord, and, and our Lord, uh, Bishop Domi told our Lord, he says, what do I do? They're killing my people. And our Lord appeared to him holding a sword. Wow. And our Lord walked up to the bishop in silence, and he gave him the sword. The bishop received the sword from Jesus in the chapel. As soon as he touched the, the sword, the sword turned into a rosary. And our Lord told him, he says, our Lord said three times, he says, Boko Haram is gone. Boko Haram is gone. Boko Haram is gone. <laughs> the bishop says, I didn't need any prophet to give me the explanation. It was clear that with the rosary, we would expel Boko Haram. Wow. Uh, I'll give you St. Bernardo Clairvaux. This guy fought in the Crusades. Oh, he says, weapon, the, the, he says, prayer is a weapon. Prayer is, he says, prayer is more powerful than all the demons. How about this one? It's uh, St. Dominic. They, they brought him a possessed person. And all St. Dominic did, he took out his holy rosary <laughs> and he put the holy rosary on the neck of the possessed person. And the story goes that dozens and dozens of demons were expelled as St. Dominic placed the rosary over the possessed man's neck. How about this one? Blessed Alan de la Roche. He's, uh, again, the Holy Rosary, he demonstrates this is one of the most powerful devotions for the salvation of souls and one of the greatest weapons against the powers of darkness. Blessed Alan de Roche exercised a little girl by putting a rosary around her neck Amazing. and he ordered the demons to leave and the demons left forthwith. Je- Jesse, uh, can I Terry, throw one I mean, more? Uh, I'm going to yeah, throw one more ahead. in, brother. Remember this story, we played it, of a man jogging in his neighborhood and he saw a paramedic going to assist some lady who had a heart attack. And what did he do? I'm going to pray the rosary while I'm jogging for that woman, which he did. A month later, he's jogging, and a woman out in the front yard watering says, Excuse me, sir, I want to thank you. What are you talking about? You saved my life. I was having a heart attack, and I saw in a vision that I was saved because there was a man there jogging who said he was going to pray a rosary for me. And our lady said 
this is what saved your life. So I just wanted to say thanks. That took place about three years ago, Jess. It's still going on today. Brother, more stories after another. I love it. Absolutely. Uh, sometimes when I, at, at men's conferences, I tell, I've told men yeah. that a rosary is, uh, it's like, it's like a spiritual machine gun. Yeah. And some guys have said, Jess, you, come on, come on. Where, where do you get this from? You're, you're, ma- you're exact, you're embellishing, you're making this up <laughs> that the rosary is like a spiritual machine. Hit okay. Him, okay. Let All right. Out. Here you go. Servant of God, Father Don Lindo Rutoli, who, by the way, who is he? He was St. Padre Pio's spiritual director. Ooh, so he's, not a, he's not a lightweight. No, he's a heavyweight. Here's what he said. The decades of the rosary are like the belt of a machine gun. Every bead is a shot. Every affection of the soul is an explosion of faith and frightens off Satan. And Mary once more crushes his head. So for all of you guys saying that I'm making this stuff up, I just quoted to you Padre Pio's spiritual director. Here's another one. <laughs> Servant of God, Father Joseph Katenich. Yeah. He says, quote, the rosary is sort of a machine gun, an atomic bomb, namely a weapon that is far superior to all the weapons of modern warfare in overcoming the enemies of God. So there you go. Next time you guys hear me say at a men's conference that the rosary is a machine gun, I'm not making this up. I'm quoting two servants of God, one being St. Padre Pio's spiritual director. Fantastic. When we come back, I will have to run, but we're going to have our church militant update on the news. And much more, as Jess and I could say, we're too blessed to be stressed. We're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, Jess Romero, Terry Barber, we'd be billionaires. Why? Our hope is in Jesus Christ and none other. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We're back, family. This is the Wednesday uh, segment. We have our friends from Church Militant. They give us an update on church news, politics, and the culture. Rodney Pelletier, how are you, my friend? Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. I'm doing great, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. And blessed uh, feast of all the holy saints today. This is Amen. a great feast day for our church. Absolutely. You know And Rodney, there's... There's a lot of people that are in heaven that nobody will ever know in this lifetime because they don't have a feast day. They don't have an, you know, they don't have a, you know, the relics are being passed around from church to church. There's no pictures of them. But uh, we also remember all those saints and we ask them to pray for us because there's a lot of people, much more than there are in the calendar of saints. Can you imagine if if, if the only people in heaven were just the, the people on the calendar of saints? That'd be pretty uh, empty. <laughs> that's, that's not a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's enough. But yeah. No, I, I like to think that, you know, today we can think about our holy great, great, great grandmas and and stuff exactly. like that. I mean, I, I have a family story where my one of my great, great, somewhere down there, grandmother's was, uh, she when she wasn't working, she was praying her rosary. And her husband, uh, my grandfather, was an alcoholic. And one day, he was crawling through the snow. This was in Canada. He was crawling through the snow, drunk. He'd spent all the family's money drinking. Uh, and Our Lady appeared to him. This is a family story. Our Lady appeared to him. His name was Thomas. She said, Thomas, why are you doing this? Don't you know you're hurting your family? Something like that. Uh, and 
he immediately became undrunk. He went home. He threw himself at the foot at his wife's feet. He wept and he begged her forgiveness. And he was dry after that. He never had a drop of liquor after that. And I like to think that, you know, those two grandparents, uh, I hope are in heaven interceding, you know, for their, their progeny. Uh, and I think this, uh, this day is exactly the type of day to think uh, of people like that. So it's a great opportunity for the church to give us uh, that chance to do that. Um, we have a couple big stories that uh, we are covering uh, earlier part of the week. Uh, just yesterday, uh, our, our church militant correspondent, Jules Gomez, he, uh, he and I had a conversation about uh, Father Marko Ruknik, uh, mm. the Slovenian priest who was uh, uh, accused, credibly accused of, uh, of preying on uh, many women in this religious community they were in. And uh, he absolved, he got excommunicated for absolving, you know, sexual accomplices uh, to whatever degree they, you know, uh, participated and uh, he was excommunicated, and apparently this type of excommunication that was levied upon him uh, can only be removed by the Pope. And so this was removed by the Pope, or at least mm -hmm. with his signature on it. And so uh, that's a pretty big scandal. So there's been a lot of outrage about uh, Father Rupnik's uh, situation, not just his situation, but the Vatican's uh, response to it. And... Uh, just how abuse victims really have not have not been reached out to, especially in that case. So the Vatican recently uh, made a statement about uh, looking back into his case. Um, some people are saying it's too little, too late. Um, you know, he still has his fans who are doubling down and saying this guy's a great guy. And I mean, despite the <laughs> allegations of the evidence rape. <laughs> yeah just despite evidence uh and you know you have some people uh, some people credibly you know who were for him were saying well his art should be torn down everywhere uh and, and you know what i i wondered what your take was on this because people are comparing it saying well Bernini, he's the, the artist who, who did the beautiful, so much beautiful art in St. Peter's Square. Well, he was not a good man, but we didn't tear down all of his stuff. So how is Rupnik's art, if you want to call it that, uh, different than Bernini's situation? I don't know. What do you think about that, Jesse? Well, uh I don't know. I'd, I'd have to read up on Bernini and, and see exactly what his his shortcomings were. I don't know because again, there's gradations of evil. You know, Rodney. You know, yeah. As as a cop, retired cop, you got mis infractions, misdemeanors, felonies, death penalty offenses. So j just like in theology, mortal and venial sin. So yeah. what Rupnik did? I mean, this guy was divergenizing nuns. Mm -hmm. the, the, or as the Old Testament says, deflowering. This is about as dirtbag, about as slime ball as you can get. A Catholic mm -hmm. priest using his power and authority, just like a wolf, to deflower young uh, consecrated nuns. Yeah. If there, if there's something uh, that, well, 
I, I better refrain from, from, from what I really feel. <laughs> uh, so I don't know what Bernini did, uh, but if, if Bernini did something as egregious as uh, Rupnik, then I got no problem banishing his art. I, I, I don't want to extol somebody who lived a life of debauchery. I mean, I know we've all committed sins. We go to confession. But, I mean, making right. a career of di- divergenizing yeah. nuns under your authority, that's about as low life as you can get, my friend. Yeah, it's it's really bad. And I think what, what some other people have been weighing in on it and saying it's not so much directly his actions, but also the the poor, if you want to call it that, response on account of the Jesuits who only got rid of him a couple months ago uh, on account of, you know, the Vatican, who is now just after all this outrage of people saying, you know, what is wrong with you? How is this zero tolerance? This is like 100% tolerance. So people looking back on this and the Vatican kind of responding, saying, well, okay, I guess we'll pull back the statute of limitations and we'll take another look into it. Uh, And really, to this day, uh, Pope Francis has not discussed, he's not met with uh, his abuse victims, despite several of them coming uh, public now. Uh, They were so outraged that they made themselves public. and uh, they've written letters. Those have gone, uh, those have not been responded to. So, I mean, part of it is his art is spread all over Rome. I think the Vatican has some publications with Rupnik's art in it. And so it, it seems like it's, you know, to, to try to heal this, this fracture that's happened, you need to just uproot everything. And some people are for it, some are against it. And uh, it's kind of a, a crazy situation. I guess we'll see how the Pope uh, or how the Vatican uh, navigates this. Well, uh, well, another story that we covered Rodney, there's, uh, there's two recently set of- was that the uh, the Diocese of Buffalo, which uh, declared bankruptcy in 2020, um, they uh, filed a, a court order so that uh, two local um, uh, media outlets there in Buffalo could not get access to uh, sex abuse records, uh, they filed uh, the equivalent of a FOIA. It's whatever a New York State's version of a FOIA is, a freedom of information type thing. Um, but, um, um, yeah, the Vatican is, uh, no, sorry, not the Vatican, but the, the diocese is saying that there are sensitive documents here, and this could look poorly upon the diocese if these are revealed. And it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> the diocese reacted very badly to all this. If you recall, uh, the bishop uh, who was in charge, uh, who headed all this stuff up, Bishop Malone, uh, ended up resigning because of his horrid um, way of handling this whole situation, really mishandling, uh, so much so that a whistleblower uh, came out and she gave all this documentation. Um to the media and just the bishop couldn't hide anymore. And so that ended up being that. Um, so the scandal of, of, of sex abuse doesn't extend only as we're seeing to, um, to the victims. It, it looks upon the whole church. It reflects on the church as a whole. And now like victims who justly deserve compensation of some kind, obviously 
their innocence can never be given back. And believe me, we've heard so many, like we've reported on sex abuse stuff, but when abuse victims come to us and tell us stuff, like it's absolutely heartbreaking. And like when you talk about Rupnik, um, uh, you know, um, absolving his his co, you know, people, you know, absolving them afterwards. His rape victims, like, absolving his rape, rape victims. Vic- yeah, rape victims. Um, <clears throat> it's horrific the stuff that these guys do. If the average person understood the perversity of these priests who do these things, who look, they, 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 they methodically sort out their victims and they go after them and they groom them. It's evil. It's evil. I mean, these guys, they should be defrocked. They should be in prison for the rest of their life. Yeah, we should go yeah. back to the ni- 1917 Code of Canon Law, which yeah. there was actually some physical punishments for priests like that. Uh, yeah, yeah R- Rodney, it's uh, and, and I think about people like, for example, I mean, you know, uh, like a lot of the priests from the Cancel Priests Coalition of mm-hmm. uh, Cancel Priests, you know, Father uh, Altman, Father Pavone, these guys, what they're accused of, it it, it doesn't even measure in the radar of Rupnik and others. And these mm-hmm. guys here are, are are sidelined for for you know for not doing anything even close. Yeah, to M- what many good did. priests yeah. are sidelined for for much less, and uh, that's also a scandal that as Catholics we kind of have to endure, and we have to look uh, often at the church and and wonder, you know. <laughs> Father, why have you forsaken me? You know, as our Lord said on the cross, yeah, but yeah. Uh, the spouse of Christ seems at times to be forsaken. And that's also something that her spouse, our Lord, you know, endured on the cross. So if Amen. he endured it, we, the mystical body of Christ, can endure it. The church can endure it. Amen. Um, Rodney. Yeah. It's, heartbreak, it's terrible, my friend. but we got to keep praying. We even time. have to keep praying for yeah. these abusers. I mean, you got because it. ultimately Rodney, hell is... Our yeah. time is up, my friend. Oh, Thank you very okay. much. Thank you very much for coming on every Wednesday. God bless you. Keep up the good work. Say hi to other brothers and sisters at Church Milton. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Keep the faith. All right. God bless. You've been listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. Remember, pray rosaries every day. Read your Bible every day. Unite your prayers to the heel of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Unite your prayers to the Sword of St. Michael and continue delivering powerful blows to the kingdom of darkness and tear down the gates of hell, which are modernism, Marxism, and masonry. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. We know how this all ends. God bless you. See you next time.